Mercy Road. You guys hear me okay out there? Yeah, let's go ahead and stand together and posture ourselves for worship. If you're joining us online, my name is Ari. I'm a pastor of worship here, and so glad to have you joining us. If you're here with us in the seats, I encourage you to sing, sing loud, sing loud. We're going to sing about the glory of God and declare his sovereignty this morning.
pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you this morning. We give you our whole selves, our heart, our mind, our spirit. Let us worship you in truth and in spirit. As we acknowledge your sovereignty over all things, all circumstances in our lives, those uh, that aren't here with us and those that are here with us, Lord, put your Holy Spirit, Lord, Holy Spirit, just be present. Make yourself more present, more known. Let us understand and experience that presence more deeply this morning as we sing, sing and worship to you, as we hear your message. Lord, we know that in all things, in all things you are sovereign and that if we don't cry out the rocks and the hills, they will cry out to you. The streams and the rivers and the mountaintops and valleys, they will give you praise if we don't. Lord, we offer you our whole self, our breath this morning. As we offer our breath to you, Lord, give us your breath. Fill us our lungs with your breath that we may worship you. May worship you better. song called Christ Be Magnified. The chorus goes like this. If you don't know it, feel free to listen. The rest of us sing loudly to teach everybody. It goes like this. We're singing, oh, Christ be magnified. Just let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Singing, oh, Christ be magnified. From the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. The creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry. Then from north to south and east to west we hear Christ be magnified were the whole echoing his eminence his name would burst from sea and sky from Yeah. 
all the things we've said and not said. I'll draw us closer to you this morning. Let us pursue that. Let us practice your presence as we worship you. Not just with our voices, but with our ears and with our intellect. Let's change how we move through this world.
Sure, she sounded beautiful this morning. I'm gonna hand it over to Pastor Mike. You're gonna have them greet each other. Just wait. Hey, uh, thanks, Ari and Bree. You guys sound awesome. And uh, thanks for joining us online and in person here. Welcome to Mercy Road. If I have not met you, my name is Pastor Mike Lotzer. I'm the lead pastor here. And I want to ask you guys a question. What are your thoughts on Bruce Banner? You know the Hulk in the Avenger Marvel movies? No? Are we any Hulk fans? Big green rage monster. He gets mad, destroys a lot of things. Yeah? I'm kind of a fan of Hulk because my boys are. We've watched those movies, and, and they just... Their favorite game, one of their favorite games is to pretend that they are the Hulk. I don't know how that works, that they both are the Hulk at the same time. And then they try to wrestle me. And it's really kind of interesting because my boys understand the concept behind the Hulk, right? I mean, the Hulk would be strong on his own. He's a big, muscular, green monster. But when he gets angry, when he's outraged, that's kind of his superpower and then he becomes really strong, and so they like to just beat me up and jump on my back and roar like the Hulk, and it's, it's mostly fun. Um, sometimes I, I get hit in the face, that, that's less fun. Um, I am noticing, and you are noticing, that we're in a time of outrage, aren't we? There's a lot of people that are angry. And what are we angry about? Well, some of us are angry that we have to wear masks, and some of us are angry that we don't wear masks enough. And some of us are angry at people who wear masks, but it only covers their nose. Some of us are angry at kind of the inconsistency from state to state or the federal response. And some of us are angry at Democrats. And some of us are angry at Republicans. And some of us are angry at both. And all of us, I think, have a low-lying anger at the loss of freedoms in this pandemic and the prolonged sense of uncertainty brings a lot of emotions and sometimes when we feel a lot of emotions in uncertainty, anger seems to be the winning one. And have you ever recently in the last few weeks just felt angry and you didn't know what you were even angry about? I have. And so as we're in this summer series, Lessons in Lockdown, we've been looking at the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul, after all, wrote the whole letter to the church in Philippi while he was in lockdown, and we're in lockdown, and we're pausing, and we're not going to look at Philippians today. We're actually going to look at three little snapshots from the Gospels, because Paul, the apostle who wrote Philippians, is constantly looking at the Messiah, at Jesus, and he's modeling his life after the life of Christ, and he tells us to do that in that letter. And so, we're, we're going to tackle anger. Several years ago, I employed a pastoral coach. Have you ever heard of a pastoral coach? It's a kind of a mental health uh, pastor who works with lead pastors. He has a case of about 70 lead pastors at any given time, and he, he coaches these lead pastors from around the country. And his name is Rick, and he would help us really think through kind of our, our physical uh, workout routine, make sure that we're taking care of our body and nutrition, uh, and also just our daily prayer life and our quiet time. Are we going to the Word for more than just putting together a sermon? And our marriage, to make sure our marriage was really intentional and healthy. And so it was a really productive two years where I worked with Rick. Um, and it, I think it made me a better pastor. One of the things I'll never forget from my coaching experience with Rick was his teaching on emotions. He said a lot of people, including pastors, grew up and they've got the message that 
certain emotions are just off limits for those who follow Christ. And anger is often one of those. You can't be angry. Don't be angry. You always have to be not angry. You know, where's the peace of Christ that passes all understanding? You can't be angry. And he said, but if you look at Christ, you see the full range of emotions in the gospel. He was fully God and fully human. He never sinned, and yet he got angry. And so his simple um, encouragement to me was, whenever you feel an emotion, and you're not sure if it's honoring God or your response is honoring God in the emotion, go to the scripture, look at the life of Jesus Christ, and find an example when he experienced that emotion. How did Jesus process loss or fear or, or betrayal or anger? And so today we're looking at anger. If you would like to turn, we are in Mark 11, 12 through 14. That's where we will be starting. And it's a curious little verse. Some of you will have read this and you just passed over it and you thought, man, there's weird stuff in the Bible. I don't even know what is going on. So this could actually be a, a clarifying thing for some of us. Mark 11, chapter 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, or in bloom, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So, so what in the world is going on? Jesus is essentially an itinerant, homeless, wandering Jewish rabbi. He, the scriptures say that there's no place for him to put his head. And so he relies on the generosity of people in his ministry to, to eat and to feed um, his, his group. And so that likely means if you see a fruit tree in the wilderness, that would be a good opportunity for you to eat something because you're walking all day. He sees early in the season, the commentaries will explain, a fig tree. And it's unique because it's in bloom. It's got all this foliage, all this leaf. The other fig trees have no leaves yet. This one has leaves. And when a tree, a fig tree in particular, in the ancient Near East, has leaves, it has fruit. And so he's excited. He goes up to it. There's no figs. It's all leaves and no figs. Verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the table of the money changers and benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is not written, is it not written, rather, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of Robbers. This is where he enters into conflict with the religious authorities at this point in the gospel. So let's just summarize. Jesus, on a walk to the temple, finds a fruit tree. It's got a lot of leaves, which would indicate normally that there'd be a lot of fruit. Upon close inspection, no fruit. Gets really angry, curses the fig tree. And his disciples are like, wow. Tough day for the tree, right? And then... He gets to the temple courts, and he finds the equivalent of Walmart in the entrance to church. And he starts turning over the tables. You see, there was um, elaborate rituals that were required in Torah, including buying of certain animals for sacrificial requirements uh, and, and offerings. And people had kind of seen that there's a lot of money to be made to 
provide travelers what they needed to practice their religion. You can imagine they were really kind of ripping off a lot of well-intending people. And the whole purpose and the whole point of honoring Yahweh God had become obscured by commercialism and just kind of crazy hypocrisy. And Jesus is really outraged. That's what makes Jesus mad. So if you're taking notes, you could put it this way. What angers Jesus? Lots of spiritual fruit with no, lots of spiritual leaves with no spiritual fruit. When a person in an organization, a family is all leaves and no fruit, that really makes Jesus angry. And it's worth considering, should that make me angry? If I'm a follower, a disciple of Jesus, yes, it should. Now, Jesus did not go down the line in the grove of fig trees and curse any or all other trees. Think about that. There's a bunch of trees. One of them had a lot of leaves and no fruit, the implication being the others were not advertising fruitfulness because they didn't really have many leaves on them. The implication being, if you don't have a bunch of indicators up in your life that you have it all together, that you are just bursting with spiritual fruit, Jesus is not angry with you. He is more than patient with you. He wants to help you and love you. He died for you. He's not condemning. He says he didn't come to the world to condemn people. He came to save us, to love us, so we could be with him forever. But if you're the type of person, if I'm the type of person that goes to elaborate lengths to tell everybody else, I've got it all together. I'm hashtag blessed. I have the best quiet times, and oh, my time with the Lord is wonderful. I am advanced in the following areas. I'm perfectly knowledgeable in theology. I am so spiritually together, but really there's not a lot of fruit. Jesus is angry at you. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Doesn't mean he's angry. So what is spiritual fruit? Well, if you were to walk in our kids' ministry room, we have these huge murals on the wall from Galatians, the letter to Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, to name some. But love is always the first of every list. If you are not exhibiting love, if I am not a loving person, if it's all leaves and no fruit, that's a problem, and that should outrage you. Now, the tricky part is examining your own leaves and your own fruitfulness before you examine other people's. Because have you noticed it's a lot easier to judge other fig trees than your own? <laughs> because, you know, your eyes are facing outward, not inward. It's easy to be like, that guy's a hypocrite, or I can't believe it, she talks a huge game, or she goes to youth group, but then she parties harder, you know, I, I thought church staff members were perfect, but I got to know one, and they were, they were terrible. You know, it's easy to say all that, but it's hard to examine our own hearts, isn't it? And it's even easier to not even get angry about fruit or lack of fruitfulness, but get angry about lesser things. Is it wrong to be mad about a fear that you might have that maybe the government is not handling the pandemic in the way that you would like them to? No, that's not wrong. You're a citizen, you, you have a voice, and it's a democracy, not a dictatorship. 
But is that a lesser concern than your own fruitfulness? Yes. If you're right in your critique about how the government is handling COVID-19 and it just outrages you, but you feel little to no outrage at the lack of fruitfulness in your own heart, the lack of love in your demeanor, that's not a good thing. You've missed the point, my friends. You know, I get angry at really stupid things sometimes. I, I'm kind of a type A personality, so waiting in line is hard for me. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a hypocrite as a driver. I'm not a very good driver, which would make one think I'd be very tender and loving and merciful to people who aren't good drivers. But you know what? I oftentimes, I'm just like, are you serious? No turn signal? No turn signal. Did, did COVID-19 give you permission to drive like, like a complete moron? Come on, right? You know, and the outrage happens. I mean, we, we get mad at some really crazy stuff, don't we? Have you ever been so mad that you kicked something and like hurt your toe or, or you know, broke something that you really didn't want to break? I, I've said it before from the stage, but I have an ongoing feud with my garden hose. I just hate that hose. It just it gets around the hostas and the arborvitaes and it, and it always catches on the back of my car tire and you just, come on, hose! The next time I'm in an epic duel with the hose, the next time I'm turning into a green rage monster over someone else's driving, I think what scripture and what the Holy Spirit and what my master Jesus would want me to do is say, it's not wrong to get mad at stuff in life, Mike, but you got to get mad at the right things. Because anger is a fuel, isn't it? It's a fuel for action. I mean, that's why Hulk is strong. It's the anger. It's not the muscles, it's the anger. That's why everyone fears him when he leaves his cool, calm, Bruce Banner research lab doctor look and turns into the green rage monster because we all know from experience, personal experience, that anger is a powerful fuel to get us to do something. So what is God asking you to do? So what else did Jesus get angry about? We're not doing a comprehensive study here. We only have so much time, but it's worth noting uh, a few other examples. If you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 17, verse 2, that is uh, another very worthy place to look. I'll just read it from the screen. Jesus is teaching his disciples in a crowd, and he says, It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. What? He's talking to adults. And he's saying to a culture that doesn't value children at all. There, there was a very, life was cheap back then. Most kids died before they turned five. So part of it was, you know, you kind of harden your heart so you don't get too attached to kids until you could know that they would make it. And, but the result was they were really not nurturing to children in this culture. At least a, a lot of people weren't, even those who claimed to follow God. 
And he is famous. Jesus is famous for breaking those cultural norms and those fashionable trends and letting kids come and hulk out on him and high-five him. And he just had this deep love for children. And he was saying in the strongest words possible, rebuking adults who are like, why are you hanging out with kids? Kids mean nothing. He said, no, anybody who hinders little children, who hurts little children, gosh, that is not going to end well for them. He's revealing to us how important kids are to the kingdom of God and to the Father's heart. What makes Jesus angry? Hindering or hurting children. He gets millstone mad about that. Now, um, I say hindering and hurting because Christian tradition has often differentiated two types of sin. One is commission and one is omission. Committing something, commission, sins of commission, are actually doing something sinful by intent, right? Omission is doing something sinful by leaving something undone. I think the majority of followers of Jesus Christ by and large, are pretty, pretty good when it comes to sins of commission against children, right? Because we live in a culture that has seen the value of kids. And we have had years of uh, psychological research that has stacked up, that has concluded what we all have experienced and know intuitively to be true. Childhood is really formative. <laughs> and how we're treated when we're little really sets us up or hinders us for the rest of our life. Not that you can't overcome adversity. As a, as a child, some of the best people ever have had really tough childhood, and so that's not an excuse. But we, we really want to be nurturing and intentional and strategic in how we parent and grandparent and as a village raise children. And so as a result, we all kind of agree on that. We're all pretty good to kids, as in we don't commit acts of abuse. We're very careful in our children's ministry here to background check everyone who works with our children and have at least two people working with children. And we, we really are intentional. But I think the church of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ in America right now, if we're really honest, we're guilty of hindering children a lot and in many, many ways. What do I mean by that? It's the sins of omission. It's not that we're doing something evil to children, although that's true in some cases. It's that we're not doing the right things. I mean, I just told you my boys love to wrestle with me. That's a good thing. And they love to pretend to be Hulk. I have to stand before my Savior at some point in my life and, and be accountable for the media that I let my kids watch and their little minds be formed. Yeah, I've showed them an, uh, the Avenger movie, and, and that's tough. You know, you go on Common Sense Media. It's a great website for parents. But there's judgment call after judgment call after judgment call because it's not even that maybe the Marvel movie is the problem. It might be what they're not watching because we're watching the Marvel movie. Think about that. Parents, if you're watching online here, I, I, I don't want to be judgy or condemning, but I do need you to hear this you could be doing significant damage to your children during this pandemic because you have completely punted on their spiritual development for months now. And you reason to yourself, you know, it wouldn't be safe for them to be at church, 
so we won't go to church. And at first you did the watch church online and you, and you did some activities with your kids that Carrie sends home. But if you're honest with yourself, you have stopped altogether and your kids don't hear you talking about Jesus. You don't read scripture with your kids. You don't talk about your spiritual journey. It's just empty. You're not a family that's praying together. You spend a lot more time binging on Netflix and doing anything else than talking about the God who made them, who has a plan for their little lives, and who wants to know them intimately. I want to invite uh, Carrie, our children's ministry director, up just to um, give a tool in this area. This would be for parents or for grandparents. Carrie, you do such a good job at, um, I'll give you a mic here, at giving us tools, and I want to be the first to admit, because I don't want to be all leaves and no fruit here, um, and I don't want to be hypocritical, this is not an area I've excelled in with my own kids. We pray at dinner, but you have sent some things home with me and given me homework, and, and she's held me accountable and said, how was kids' church, Mike? Did you watch the video with your kids? And I said, uh, I think we're going to do that Tuesday. Here's, so what, what do we have for the parents here? Yeah, and here's one thing I know, Mike, and I know you know it in your heart too, is our parents um, are doing a great job, and they want this for their kids. You don't know any parents who say, yeah, I want to hinder my child. Right. But sometimes what we need parents is, and what I hear them ask for, is just a plan, a strategy. And so I feel like that's where our job as a church can come in and partner with parents um, and really provide the resources that they need. Because you just need to know where to start, right? And where to jump in. So what we've developed now is, and this is actually the Lotzer family. Oh, all right. <laughs> the home plan for each month. And our curriculum covers all age groups. And it just gives you um, daily things that you can do with your children that take 10 minutes. And just being real intentional. Because what you do every week really matters. And I know parents want that. They just sometimes need the instructions, right, to Absolutely. do it. And there's little games, like even a little matching game with Adeline, you know, for two minutes and just talking about the, the blessings on the cards. So we're going to jump into this, and it's something you can share with other families, too. I would love to have home plans for, you right. know, 100 families. That would be awesome. So be in touch with me, Carrie, at mercyroadmn.com. Thanks so much, Carrie. Yep, if you can just put it right up there. So um, we just love your ministry here, Carrie, and one of the benefits of being a smaller church is that we have individualized plans and resources for every family. We also are a big believer that grandparents will have maybe one of the most profound influences in the spiritual lives of children, and not just grandparents. All the research shows that the more adults that are invested in a kid's life, and we're not just talking about little kids, up through adolescence and college age, the more adults who show a spiritual interest in the life of that individual, that more than any other factor, more than church attendance, more than any other factor is what separates kids who grow up to have what we call a sticky faith, where they know and walk with Jesus as an adult, or a nominal or non-existent faith, where they just said that, yeah, I kind of did the church thing. I think I'm going to take about 15 years off right now. Maybe when I have kids someday, I'll bring them back. Maybe not. This gets real for me. I um, mentor a, a, a man who's actually my same age who's in prison for life. 
and I often will ask Jesse in letters or when I, before the pandemic, could visit him in Stillwater, what can I do for you? You can donate a little money on his account so he can have art supplies or things like that in prison. And he appreciates that. But he said to me one day on a visit, he said, Mike, more than money, more than visiting me, the, the best thing you could ever do for me is invest in the life of my son. And I just want to be very vulnerable and real. I haven't done a great job at that. We've sent him to camp, summer camp. We've done some other things as a church. And I've gotten used to the automatic things that our church can do. And I've given myself permission to not personally reach out as often as I should. And guess what? A lot of those automatic things, like every other area of life, have been impacted by the pandemic. And, and I'm just telling you that if your pastor is guilty of sins of omission, not investing in the lives of children in the ways that God is calling him to in, in areas, it's very likely that you are too. Some of you, maybe not. But if you're more outraged about a political issue, about Chipotle getting your order wrong, then you are about the, the sin of omission by not investing in the lives of the children that God has strategically put in your life, that makes Jesus angry. And it should make you not feel shame, but feel anger that moves you to prayerfully do something about it. So what makes him angry? Well, he gets angry. The fully sinless son of God gets angry when people have a lot of leaves and no fruit, when we're hypocrites, and we all have some of that. He gets angry when people hinder or hurt children, and we need to take that seriously. And lastly, Jesus gets angry when religious pride gets in the way of helping hurting people. Mark 3, 1 through 6 Another time, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, a deformity. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, the religious leaders. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. Can you hear the angry tone that he's saying this in? Not angry at the man, angry at the religious leaders. Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot the, with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. What's going on? It's the Sabbath. As an observant, Torah-observant Jew, you don't do anything on the Sabbath. And over time, a blessing, the Sabbath is meant to be a great blessing for the people of God and a reset to remind us that we're all completely dependent on God at all times and that the world doesn't revolve around us. Over time, this gift of Sabbath had been turned into a religious performance. And there was a whole host of literature that was extra biblical, that wasn't part of the Bible, that was just the, the opinions of different rabbis about what you could do on the Sabbath and what you can't do on the Sabbath. And we see this kind of creep into different Christian 
denominations too. The Amish, for example, you know, the big debate over zippers and buttons and can we, can we do this or can we not do that? And it's a lot of work to get ready for the Sabbath. And Jesus has a healing ministry. He's healing people selectively as a sign point to the day when all people are healed and the religious leaders in their pride are looking for him to break the rules by healing someone on the Sabbath. That's what religious pride does to human hearts. It makes us so twisted that we could look at the very source of the universe, the face of Jesus, the king, and we could just watch him do something as beautiful as heal someone with the motive to trip him up to prove that we're right and he's wrong. Christian, what areas in your life do you have religious pride? Religious pride comes in subtle forms. It can look very obvious, like, look at me. Look at my leaves. Look how educated I am. Look how many Bible studies I've led. It can also come in very subtle forms, in the form of insecurity. Oh, I, I could never help a child. I don't really know. I, I could never lead a Bible study. You know, who am I? It's just an inverted form of pride. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he loves you, that he's died for you, that he's forgiven you, that he has a plan for your life, will help you to not think less of yourself and not think more of yourself, but think of yourself less often. There are no narcissists in the kingdom of God. Because when you're in the kingdom of God, the king is just so much more interesting than you. And he's so much better. And the simple fact that he loves you and invites you in the kingdom is enough. And you just want to serve him. Am I outraged at the things that outraged Jesus? Or am I outraged at trivial, passing things? It is not wrong to be outraged at deep, racial injustice, acts of violence. It's not wrong to feel very angry at things and systems that may be broken. It's not wrong to feel angry that people are rioting in your city. But if all those things fire you up and make you the Hulk, and these things that we've talked about never fire you up, you've really just got to ask yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you following? May God give us the ability to follow him even in the things that anger his heart and may that anger move us to action. A final word, I want to speak tenderly to those of us who grew up in homes or environments where anger was very dysfunctional, maybe even abusive. It's very likely, statistically speaking, a large amount of the people listening or watching this the minute I said anger, you felt extreme anxiety or shame. And this has been a hard message for you. You need to know that Jesus is perfect in his anger. What do I mean by that? He is full of grace and he is full of truth. Men and women are not very good at being angry, if we can be honest about that. That's so why the scriptures say, never let your anger continue before the sun goes down. Seek reconciliation. Don't live in a constant state of anger. Jesus didn't either. He knew how to use anger like a scalpel. Most of us use it like a broadsword, hacking away. 
He can teach you how to become surgical in your anger if you will submit your emotions to him and if you will start to try to become angry at the things that anger him and start by examining your own life first. But if this message has triggered any of you and you just feel that the takeaway is somehow that God is just really angry at you and I just knew it, God doesn't love me and he doesn't like me and he's disappointed at you, stop it. Don't hear what I'm not saying. He loves you enough to die for you. That's a big love. He wants the best for you. And part of that is learning to become angry at the things that anger him. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to become angry at the things that anger you first. Help us to be men and women who grow the fruit of self-control and do not get high on the narcotic of anger, trivial anger. Help us to be people who have a righteous anger and outrage over that which righteously angered and outraged Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God. Help us to do the next right thing, compelled by righteous anger in truth and in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to that word, let's go ahead and stay together. We're going to sing a song I wasn't intending on closing with, but my wife, Brianna, leaned over and said we should close with this. So it's called Let Us Be Known. Let me sing through three fruits of the Spirit. Let's be known by our love, by our joy, and by our peace. Let us be known. 
church family may the love of God and the grace of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as you go into your week hopefully see you next Sunday
home and I'm trying to do right. Thank God for my kids and my lovely wife. The life I used to live, I had to live. A new